the multitudes in the gospel. Beginning at verse 1 in that 6th chapter of John and going on down through verse 14. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed Him because they saw His signs which He performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there He sat with His disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up His eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward Him, He said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this He said to test Him, for He Himself knew what He would do. Philip answered Him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. Two hundred denarii, by the way, is 200 days worth of earnings. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when He had given thanks, He distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, He said to His disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Do you all remember the commercials that MasterCard started approximately 18, 20 years ago? The priceless commercials. The very first ones were about uh, going to a baseball game. This is when Major League Baseball had the big home run contest between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. And that contest uh, got people's interest. But at the same time, MasterCard, right before the season, sat down with baseball executives and said, we want to promote baseball because it was lagging in attendance. It has not lagged attendance since that year. Um, and they haven't been concerned about attendance since then. But they sat down and they said, let's do something called Priceless. And the very first commercial that came out, if you remember it, was a picture of a son and, his, uh, uh, and a father going to a baseball game. And it said, tickets to the game, $40, I think that's what it was, and hot dogs and drinks, $10. Memories of a lifetime with your father, priceless. Remember that? And they've done several commercials since then like that. But I want to share with you that God has looked at you and said, priceless. Now you say, I don't know about that. Well, let me share something with you. God wrote the story. He's still writing the story of your life. You're living it, making choices, and choosing whether to go His path for your life or not. 
But I got to tell you, the story that he wrote, the ending is absolutely wonderful. Jesus Christ wins, okay? No matter what the devil tried to do, no matter what the world said was ungodly and God didn't exist, in the end, he, that's all wrong. God wins, okay? I've read the back of the book, okay? <laughs> and he's also there throughout history. So he's there. But did you ever read, and do you remember how it all starts way back in Genesis? The very first words. The very first four words, as a matter of fact. It says, In the beginning, God. Now we all want to jump to what God's going to do and all this other stuff, but in the beginning, God. So I ask you this morning, do you have some new beginnings that need to happen for you? Do you need some new beginnings? Some things to end? Do you need some things to end today, if possible, and start fresh? Is it possible? Do you think it is? Maybe some of the things you're looking at in your life feel like a mountain you just cannot climb. Maybe you've had some struggles and things in your life that you just couldn't get through. And you're facing them now. And you're saying, God, God, you don't understand. This is just killing me. I'm under this pressure and, and struggle and it just never ends and it's getting you weighed down. Maybe you've had a few things like that where you just can't find answers. And maybe it heartbreaks. And maybe it soul aches. And maybe it creates headaches for you. And uh, back aches, if you will. But stomach aches, some of it. And all sorts of aches because things just aren't working out. And you go, in the beginning, God, but what about during the aches and the hurts and my heart grieving and struggling? What do I do? Well, in Psalm 51.17, God says something. He says, and I have it on the screen for you, that God says an acceptable sacrifice for Him is a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite or contrite heart. These God will not despise. And you say, well, I've had, I think I've had, what's, well, what's contrite mean? <laughs> and so, I want to share with you what that verse is saying. Broken, of course, means crushed. But contrite means collapsed or crouched over, slumped, crushed, destroyed, hurt, broken down or torn. And maybe, just maybe, your heart has felt some of those kinds of things. Maybe you have some areas in your life where you feel like once you were standing strong and now you're starting to collapse under the weight. God, God, I need help. And God's saying you're starting to collapse under the weight. This kind of heart He will not reject. So do you have any areas of your life like that today? It can seem overwhelming. There's a story in the Gospel of Mark. We've told it lots of times throughout the history of a widow. A very poor widow. It's told in Mark 12. And I have it for you on the screen. Jesus is in the temple and He says, He sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came 
and threw in two mites, which make a quadrant. That basically means less than a penny's worth in today's society. Not even hardly anything. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those, those who have given to the treasury. Why? For they all put in out of their abundance. But she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Now I want to make a couple of notes about this passage and you'll see what I mean. Notice she only had a few cents. Maybe a nickel. Maybe a dime at the most is what that money was worth that she put in. And yet, the Scriptures say, do not leave widows uncared for. That they should always be provided for by the rule in the society, by the temple and people giving alms. And she's broke. So nobody cared for her financially by the temple or others who said they loved God, yet they're throwing bags of money in the treasury to show how generous they are. And she's got nothing but ten cents to put in. And yet here she comes to worship with her nothing. And she offers what she has to God. When it seemed God through unfaithful believers, and maybe you've heard people say this before, that God doesn't care because His people don't care. But God ignored her plight. She was still broke and a widow. And Scripture specifically says, do not let this happen. In a faithful community, all these scribes and Pharisees saying how wonderful they are. And this is the time when the temple's at its greatest point. How wonderful and rich this temple is. And yet there's a widow walking in with nothing. How is it that a temple rich lets a widow with no source of income starve. And so she may have thought God didn't care because the people didn't care. And a lot of people see things that way. They say God's people are at fault because God's lack of concern should be shown rather than unconcern. And that changes... It changes when God enters in. Let me tell you, God's people, are, when people think that, are at fault for God's lack of concern, is the mindset. That's of infinite destruction. But changing that with two cents, or ten cents, depending on how you look at the figure, but changing that with a dime into the treasury, for God's lack of concern to God's care for her, for her to have a testimony throughout all history is priceless. Ten cents changed her history. She gave more than everybody else. Not only was her gift priceless, I'll bet you it was matchless by the people who came that day that nobody else threw all they had. Second story, the one I read at the beginning, John chapter 6, the boy with the loaves and the fish. Now, I love this story because it kind of overwhelms me in what's going on. You have over 5,000 people. Now, we know that because other Gospels tell us there's 5,000 as well as this Gospel says there's 5,000. And that's men. 5,000 men. And it says not including women, 
and children. You say, well, how do you know there's children there? Because the young boy brings forth his food. Jesus asked Philip, feed him. He says, well, how are we going to do that? 200 days worth of work's not even going to be enough to get home a little bit. What are we going to do? We don't have that kind of money. I don't have it. We don't have it, Jesus. We cannot do that. And Jesus says, well, let's go see what we do have. Instead of focusing on what you don't have, let's see what you do have. So, they bring a young boy. So we find a boy. He's got five barley loaves and two fish. And then he asks the question that you and I ask God all the time. What is this among so many? What is what I have compared to the need? I don't have enough, God. What I have doesn't matter. Because it's not enough for you. And Jesus says one thing. Do you remember what He says? What does He say? Well, you're right. Not going to work. Not going to work. No, no, no. So what does He say? He says, make the people sit down. Let's do this with the five loaves and two fish. But but how? Leave God up to the how. Give Him your, what you have. Give your ten cents worth or your two cents worth, if you will. But somehow... But listen to this. And, and I think this is important for you to understand. That the need to feed 5,000 people and Jesus' intent to do that is greater than what five loaves of bread and two fish can do. In contrast, the need is bigger than the resources that we have. Yeah, Jesus says, let's do this with what you have. That's a contrast, isn't it? Because five loaves of bread and two fish are basically worthless in contrast to the need to feed 5,000, how much food that would take. It's pointless. <laughs> Almost unbelievably pathetic to try. And so, the disciples say the same thing we say when our lives are struggling and trying to figure out what God wants us to do. What am I among large odds and unseemingly huge circumstances, almost insurmountable? And deeper questions we ask behind those. The real questions. Who am I anyway? Why am I here? What does God want from me? Why does God even love me? How can I be sure? Do I even matter? I'm five loaves, eaten today and gone tomorrow. Am I priceless? If so, then why do I feel worthless in so great a need? And why do I feel inadequate in this life? And yet, five loaves fed, five thousand. God's math doesn't add up, does it? <laughs> Not to our logic. Then we get to another story in the Old Testament. Maybe this one's a little more difficult. A man uh, about ten feet tall named Goliath. Daring one man to take him on face to face. A shield to protect him so heavy that he had to have another person carry it. And David says, Who is this to defy? <laughs> the living God to think that God will let this man do that. He's not looking at, oh, here's a big guy and he's going to crush me. He's looking at God. 
we look at what we have in the circumstances, we don't look at God. And why is that? It's because our eyes and our struggle is here and now. But God says, I was there at the beginning. And I know how the story ends. And I know how to get you from beginning to end if you'll just trust me and follow me and listen. I will lead you in miraculous ways. And I got the verse on the screen where it says what David used. (laughs) Let's try this. He took his staff in his hand. That's David. The staff he carved out of a tree. It was free. He chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. The water right there, the brook's right there. Guess what? Free. He put them in a shepherd's bag. He probably carved it out of something or sewed it, excuse me, out of some cloths from some sort of creature that he'd killed. Or maybe he bought it. Three dollars. And he had a pouch. <laughs> and a sling. Five dollars. And he drew near the ten foot tall man with that. Those things are worthless. But knowing that God's behind you in the first stone at throne, he didn't need five. But you notice he, he took stones out of the brook. He only needed one. But he took more than one. Why? Because enemies might be more than one after him. There might be another come. And he wanted to make sure that no others followed. But he said, in his heart, he said, all this stuff I have, I've made it by hand, or I've bought it. And God's provided me the stones for this day, right here in the brook as I go down to see him. God's already provided me with stones. And he takes one, and you know the story. He whirls it in the sling and lets it fly. And to know that God was behind him, priceless. You don't need to know the end of the story to know that when God enters in the beginning and at the end, you will prevail. You see, staffs, slinging stones are worthless in a battle. We want chariots, swords, armor, spears, shields, horses, weapons, and defense. That's bettering the odds. And David made the odds completely in the other guy's favor, except for God. In the hands of God, a staff, a sling, and stones are worthless without God swirling. But in the hands of God, they become tools of victory. Five loaves become tools of victory. Ten cents becomes a lasting memorial. And seeing what God can take that's worthless and ridiculed to defeat the foe is priceless. Absolutely. Completely. Totally amazing story. You might think, well, I understand, but I'm not going up against the Goliath, but sometimes what you face feels worse than that because it just is relentless. Goliath was out there every day, scaring everybody off. You understand that Goliath's taunts were against an individual man, and no individual man would come but a young boy. You forgot that part of the story, didn't you? David was about 11, maybe 10, maybe. And he said, but I got God. I, God will do my fighting for me. It almost sounds like he's uh, immature in his thinking. Oh, well, grow up and when you come back to reality, just because you think God's on your side doesn't mean you're going to win this battle. And that's what the king had to deal with. 
was this man's confidence. And, he, and, and you, you, you ever read the story, you know what I'm saying. This is what happens. He says, I'm going to go fight this guy to find God. And he says, okay, alright, I'm going to give you my armor, my sword, and my shield. And he tries it on and it's not fitting well. It's not proof. And he says, I'm going to go with that. And he says, well, I don't know if you can do it. And he says, listen, I fought a lion and a bear at the same time and I killed them both. I'm not afraid of this. He's just a guy. And i got a God behind me who's bigger than that and I will cut his head off and I'll bring it to you on the charger. And Saul said, this kid sounds confident. Not in himself. There's no confidence in a stone. There's no confidence in a swirling arm of the sling. There's confidence in God alone. To have that confidence in battle is priceless for each of us. Now look at us here at the United Methodist Church here in Milburn. Five years ago, thereabouts, we decided to start a food pantry. Didn't know what it would cost, but a few hundred a week. Gas. Labor. All that you can put a price on. But to see new life in people, hope for families without food, new friends and family here, redeemed souls and healed hearts, priceless. Oh, but we're small in number. God isn't worried about the small in number. Look at Gideon going against 100,000 with 300. <laughs> That's, that's not even sane. It almost sounds funny. Like, okay, we got 300, that's enough. Don't take weapons. Oh, that's worse. Just take clay pitchers and lights and make noise. Just, just shout. They'll think you're you know, bad or something and they'll be scared. It just doesn't work that way, does it? Our odds are insurmountable because they are our odds. But God's odds are 100% perfect and accurate and never fail. God will get done what He said. His Word will not return void. Says the Scripture, cast your bread upon the water. After a while it will return to you. All the time. God's Word does what God's Word says it's going to do. We like to look at what we have rather than what God does with nothing. That last example in Matthew 26. Maybe you've heard this before. I know you have. It says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is My body. And He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is My body, uh, excuse me, My blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And do this often as you will in remembrance of Me. You know, I often have to wonder what communion is really all about. I decided to do a little experiment this week. I think you'll like this. A loaf of bread. If it was Hawaiian bread, it's about two ninety eight. This one's about a buck. A dollar. Jesus says, this is my body. Transubstantiation, you know what that means? It's a kind of fancy word that says it actually becomes Jesus. 
Some people say that it's so holy that after it's been broken and set back on the table, it still is the body of Jesus. Beyond that, He took the cup, blessed it, as we just read, gave thanks, said this is my blood. For a quart bottle of 100% grape juice at Walmart, it's $2.48. And no, that's not a plug for Walmart. It's $2.48. So this cup worth is less than $2.48. Let me ask you a very simple question. Can that loaf of bread and that cup of grape juice poured out of a bottle bring you salvation? No, it cannot. No, it cannot. It's worthless to bring you salvation. I promise you. But when you place it into Jesus' hands, that loaf of bread, He says, this loaf becomes my body. Until then, it's a dollar loaf of bread you can get at the store. When it's in His hands, it becomes His body. And when it's the cup that He says, this is my blood, then it's valuable to us. And it becomes His blood. Until then, it's worth about 80 cents. So you're looking at less than two bucks on the altar today. But when we break it in the name of Jesus Christ, and we take it in the name of Jesus Christ, it spells out redemption. It spells out salvation. It spells out new life, new hope, new beginnings in Jesus Christ. He says about His blood, this is the blood poured out as a new covenant. One that starts today. When I drink this blood, I start my covenant with Jesus over again right now. In Corinthians it says, do not take the table unworthily. And I used to think that meant if I've been sinning this week, or if I haven't repented, or all sorts of things. My relationship with God this week is bad. I need to not take it. And that's not what it means. What it means simply is this. That I realize that I'm not worthy to take the communion. I should never come to the table and say, God, I deserve that. That You need to give me because that is what I want and You should do it for me. That's to take it unworthily. But to take it worthily is to say that it's not yours to offer yourself. And you can't demand it of God. That you take it realizing it truly is offered. And when it's offered by Jesus, it becomes what He says it is. Our lives in the hands of Christ somehow like five fish and ten cents and sling and stones all change. When it's given to God for His purposes, it's different. Is it priceless? Absolutely. In the hands of God. All the questions we ask, do I matter? What's my purpose? Your purpose is to be put thoroughly and totally into the arms of Jesus Christ and be used for His purposes. Mm-hmm. And let Him dictate that as He will. You're precious to Him. I want to share with you this. That when we take of the communion today, 
All we're telling our Heavenly Father is, thank you for counting me as one. And welcoming me as part of this. Thank you for saying I'm worth it to you. Thank you for looking at me and saying, I inscribed you with my hands. I fashioned you with my hands. You are priceless possession. The psalmist in Psalm 8 says this, Who is man that you would be mindful of him? What is man that you would think of him just a little lower than the angels? Who am I that you would consider me? Who am I? I am but a flower quickly fading, a vapor in a wind. I will be here today and gone tomorrow. This is our truth. But in Jesus Christ, all the things that we are as people and all that we lack come to fulfillment when Jesus puts Himself into it and you step into the relationship with Him and say, God, here I am. No matter how I feel, no matter how worthless my gifts are to the people around me and to my own thoughts, they're yours. Now it's up to you, God, to do with it what makes them valuable for your people. Because I can't make them that way. This is what we mean by saying, God, put me in your hands and arms. And let this be the body and blood of Christ for me. And I will, as you will, be the body of Christ in this world. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as you pour out your Spirit upon us, gather here upon the bread, the body of Christ broken. God, you changed something that's worth a dollar into something of infinite, eternal value. And if you can do it for a loaf of bread, you can do it for us. And you can do it with us. And the blood of Christ, this cup represents Heavenly Father, pour out your Spirit on it, let it be for us the blood of Christ that when we partake of it, we establish that new covenant again, today, a new beginning, starting over right now. The mountains we climb, God, we put them back in your hands. The little that we have, we give to you. We put it all in your treasury. We say, Heavenly Father, we receive the promise you've given to us through the blood of Christ. And we thank you for it. And we honor you by saying, Lord Jesus, you were, you are, and you are to come. We give you thanks. So you died, you rose, and you will come again in five victory. <coughs> And in so doing, Lord Jesus, you establish and ratify this covenant on earth and you establish and made in heaven as well. Heavenly Father, may what we do today have eternal and heavenly significance as well. Amen. <coughs> the table's about ready. My simple invitation is this. That whatever thing you're facing in your life, that you come with it all to Jesus Christ. Say, it's all yours. I, I want you to have it all because in your hands it becomes something complete I can't expect or understand. But it is priceless to you. And it can be priceless to the Lord around you. And if you have any question in your mind if this is possible, that for you, God loves you that much, look at the title of the sermon. Absolutely He does. Absolutely, you're priceless to Him. Absolutely, you have a part and purpose in His creation. Absolutely, you do. 
and saying yes to that saying, God, I'm not worthy, but thank you. Thank you. Forgive me for thinking I was and thinking my way was better than yours. I understand differently now. That's simply all you got to say. When you come, receive it humbly, knowing that you're welcome, and you come because He invited you, not because you were worthy, but because you needed it. And we still did it, don't we? As I lay out the carpet on the floor, you prepare your heart in a moment of silent meditation, and then when I'm back with the elements, may you come and partake. Things are ready.
In the church for centuries, the debate has raged on. Is the body and bread, the blood, the cup, truly that of Jesus Christ? Is it somehow he's eating, if you will, as carnivores? Are we cannibals? All this debate goes on. I'm going to make it very simple for us to understand just like this. Jesus put bread in his hand. Not his arm, his leg the bread. And he said, this is my body. And the very simple statement was, I am the bread of life. I am bread. As often as you do it, you proclaim me. And as often as you do it, that's a beautiful thing. You proclaim Christ. You receive the elements. Now go forth walking in peace and salvation and knowing that Jesus Christ has redeemed you and has looked upon you with love and set his banner high above you. And his banner says, Love, beloved, you are valuable. And believe it or not, he can do many great things through us. Today's the day when you come and speak. May it be so for you. Go in peace. Almost nice up, Frank. Yes, sir. Uh, something's been on my mind. Well, out here lately, uh, and first and foremost, I know better than to bring politics into the church. But there's an issue uh, that needs to be uh, addressed, and when you go to the polls Tuesday, I hope each and every one of us will consider this when you vote. Uh, the issue I'm talking about is abortion. I'm ashamed of it. Uh, I'm ashamed of the abortions that we have in this country. number is something like uh, I think Aunt Ginger could probably help 3,000 a day? Yes. Mm -hmm. 
That's astronomical, folks. That's pathetic. God will never heal this country, this land, as long as that goes on. Now, like I say, I'm not up here trying to drum up votes for nobody. Uh, but this has been going on for years. Most of you know the Roe versus Wade thing. And, uh, and all that come about back in the 70s, and it's just gotten so crazy out of hand. Now, in my heart, I feel there may be times when it's justified. But we're using abortion as a form of birth control. You're going to think about 3,000 babies a day. Now, that's hard for me to even imagine. I don't. And you multiply that times 352 days a year. And think about how many children are aborted. It cost approximately $40,000 to adopt a child. You can have an abortion for 400. That's sad. I'm not up here being judgmental. I don't. I'm not going to judge nobody. I. I only know personally of a couple of ladies that I know of that's had abortions. I'm, I'm not. I'm not judging anybody. But I do believe it's wrong. And like I say, I don't think God's going to heal this man. As long as that's going on. Uh, my wife will think this funny, but I Facebook probably more than I should. <laughs> and I have a friend the other day that uh, she called it the holiest thing a mother could do is to abort a child to help feed a living child. That's sad. That's, that's, that's sad. She lives down in Florida, and I was thinking this morning, I think she drank too much swamp water and <laughs> bark off the trees too long. <laughs> My honest opinion, I love her to death. But, but anyways, you know, like I say, I'm not, I'm not trying to drum up folks. Uh, and I realize there are a lot of other issues in this election. This might be one of the uh, most controversial elections I've ever Just remember that from the first time. When it does come time, I'm going to. Like John said, I will not tell you what to do. I will say, please do go vote. Your voice matters. Your voice is Christless. It's valuable. So use it. That's what I'll say about that. Use it. Same when we come to communion, reverently. 
Heavenly Father, we've been through so much in this world in our lives. But you're still there. By grace and grace alone, we're still here. By grace alone, we see another beautiful day. It is by grace alone you promise us new hope and new life. And it is again by grace that we can enjoy one another, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the peace that you've given us. So I'm going to ask you to extend that and let your holiness flow forth. Start with us if you need to be, Lord, but start somewhere and let this world see that there's still a God who believes in truth, righteousness, and holiness, and a people who embrace that with all they are. Amen. Amen.